Warning, this podcast is definitely not for the kiddos. We'll be discussing violence, disturbing crimes, and even the gut-wrenching topic of sexual assault. And did I mention our twisted sense of humor? Yeah, we share some laughs at the expense of unfortunate situations, but who doesn't love dark comedy while discussing the most horrifying things humanity has to offer? So if you're up for exploring the darkest corners of the human psyche while also enduring some sarcastic chuckles along the way, go ahead. But remember, we won't take any responsibility for the nightmares that might haunt you afterwards. Welcome to Twisted Thoughts, ADHD's Dark Side, the podcast that delves into the intriguing and chilling world where neurodivergence meets crime. I'm your host, the Neurodivergent Nurse, and together we'll explore the untold stories of criminals whose lives were shaped by their battle with ADHD. In each episode, we'll unravel the complex web of thoughts, impulses, and actions that led these individuals down a dark path. We'll examine the unique challenges and struggles they faced, the impact of their neurodivergent minds on their criminal behavior and the ripple effects on the victims and society. Prepare to be captivated by the twisted tales as we shine light on the shadows of ADHD. From impulsive acts of violence to meticulously planned crimes, we'll seek to understand the complex relationship between neurodivergence and criminality. Join me today on this thrilling journey as we peel back the layers of these twisted thoughts and embark on a quest for knowledge, compassion, and a deeper understanding of the human mind. This is Twisted Thoughts, ADHD's Dark Side. Welcome to this special episode, the new mini-series of The Neurodivergent Nurse. Today, for the very first one, I had to get my favorite host. They've been on my podcast before, and they've had me on theirs a couple times, too. I just love, love, love hanging out with these girls. They just brighten my day. So anyways, Garrett, Katie, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your podcast before we hop into this episode? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Garrett. I'm, I'm Katie. Also making eye contact with Katie's cat, who's given a real dirty look. <laughs> She's got a heating pad, so she should be fine. But we host a podcast called The Bar is Ankle High, which we started because we were both diagnosed with ADHD as adults. And after I was diagnosed, I kept messaging Garrett and kind of saying like, oh, and another thing, do you do this? And is that ADD? And is that what's something that you deal with? And so it was born out of this idea of what, well, what would my life look like now if I had known even five years ago that I had this um, and was able to work on it and either treat with medication or with therapy or just have the information of the diagnosis so that I can set myself up for success and adjust my expectations of myself. So that was the idea behind our podcast. And it's it's been great. We've, we're out for coming up on 50 episodes soon. We've been having a great time. Yeah, we're actually starting to plan our like one year podversary. I know. Which is crazy. <laughs> that is exciting. When is that? September um, 1st. Yeah. So it'll probably be the episode that comes out the week after September 1st, because I think September 1st mm -hmm. is a Friday this year. Our episodes come out on Thursdays. But yeah, it's it's coming up. Well, yeah. <laughs> we're going to also talk about people who have ADHD, but criminals. So on this episode, we're going to talk about Richard Ramirez. I, in my head, every while I was writing this stuff and putting this all together, I cannot say this guy's last name, and it's not a difficult one. But you may hear me say it about 25 different ways <laughs> while I'm talking about this guy. Well, he's a.k.a. the Night Stalker. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, good. So I'm glad. I didn't realize he had details. ADD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't either. Interesting. Yep. I yep. just knew he had like rank breath and those teeth. Yeah. yeah those good gnarly teeth. teeth. They were real bad. Yeah. Didn't I think Netflix just did a docu-series like in the last couple of years on him that I watched. Uh, yes, 2021. I was not able to watch it like I did the other person that I thought we were doing. <laughs> well, that's okay because I forget things as soon as I watch them. So I won't have a ton of gaps to fill in. That's unfortunate. I was hoping you would fill in the gaps. That's okay. Um, I watched the documentary. Episode. I can help. Oh, yeah. Katie will remember. I, I just don't ever. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So that's good because like I said this morning, whenever I was texted y'all and I was saying I need a little bit more time because I was literally still putting everything together so I only have you know meat and potatoes therefore you're gonna be the perfect perfect person for this even more so that's great great yeah (laughs) so he's called Richard uh, but he was born Ricardo and he was the youngest of five kids he was born in El Paso Texas to Mexican immigrants Mercedes and Julian So he had four brothers and sisters, and they were all born with birth defects due to the fact that their mom worked at a boot factory. And she was exposed to a lot of chemical fumes while she was pregnant. Jesus. Yeah. And so this reminded me of the episode that we did on your podcast about 23andMe, where they were saying that maybe they they can help figure out through genetics and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm with who has a tendency or more prone to have ADHD. And while we were learning about all of that in the genetics, we also know that there's some environmental factors that can cause ADHD too, right? Like brain injuries or alcohol and substance abuse. Some of the things that we talked about even prior to hitting the record button on this episode. Mm -hmm. That is the craziest thing, I think, in the research that we've done. You'll read and it's like, well, it can be genetic. You know, you can be born with it. Or you could have a traumatic brain injury that's causing you to have really poor focus. It's just like wild that those are the two factors that are so big. Mm -hmm. I agree. And when you were talking earlier or, you know, when we were having a conversation about what our moms did whenever they were pregnant with us, Sometimes I, but my dad definitely has ADHD. He got diagnosed after I did. But I, I keep thinking, is it because my mom smoked while she was pregnant? I mean, is that because like I see the correlation between the two? I wonder if that kind of led my brain or maybe to that. made it more pronounced or yeah, maybe. I mean, I I maintain that I think ADHD is a spectrum disorder mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. to autism. So I think to the extent that potentially there's like those environmental triggers for ADHD. I think there's also the idea that, because I mean, I know that we all hear it a lot where everybody's a little ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are, to the extent that sometimes, yeah, everybody has a day where they just can't focus no matter what they do. Sure, it's called burnout and it can happen to neurotypical people too. But to the extent that that goes from a neurotypical experience into a neurodivergent experience is a spectrum. How How much are you going to be affected by your mother smoking while you're in utero or drinking or whatever, being exposed to tannins, evidently? And, That's you know, so to, crazy. to the extent that that could injure the fetus, which we've also talked about, particularly in our hormone episodes, is they just don't test these things on mm-hmm. Women in general, but definitely not pregnant women. So that's why it's like, can you take Pepto-Bismol? You know, everything you have to Google because they're like, well, we just don't know. So the answer is no, because we don't want to risk it, which I understand. Like I said, I've said before, I'm not going to sign up to risk my baby 
being severely disabled as a result of saying like, well, we've got to find out somehow. And it's like, well, I wish you would test that on a mouse or something first. (laughs) Yeah. Are you ready for an adventure? The Neurodivergent Nurse is thrilled about the upcoming trip to Spain from October 9th to October 15th, 2023. I am so excited to invite you to join us on an unforgettable journey through the beautiful cities of Sevilla, Cordoba, and Granada. This trip is tailored for neurodivergent individuals, creating a supportive and understanding environment for all travelers. Experience Spain's rich culture, explore historic sites, and immerse yourself in local traditions. Our trip will include exciting activities such as flamenco and tapas night, a panoramic sunset cocktail hour, and a relaxing boat ride down the river. And that's just the beginning. You'll also have the opportunity to stroll through the charming streets of Cordoba's old town and soak up the vibrant atmosphere of Sevilla's mini plazas. Our experienced and knowledgeable guides will provide unique insights into the history and culture of each location. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to create lasting memories, build new friendships, and experience the beauty of Spain in a supportive and inclusive environment. Don't miss out on this amazing trip with the Neurodivergent Nurse. For more information and to reserve your spot, click the link in the show notes. But there's those things where I think, because I think that ADHD is a spectrum disorder, there can be those those instances where smoking might, if it doesn't cause it, it's what brings it out. So like you're, yes, you always had ADHD, but perhaps you struggle more with the anxiety part of ADHD or the disorganization part, or you have more impulsive control issues. So I think it's not necessarily one or the other. I agree completely. Well, Richard, he ended up at two years old. He had a dresser fall on his head. So not only did he have the chemical exposure while in utero, but now he's, he's having head injuries. So that was the first one. Um, yeah. And then the first at, one, the first one. Yeah. At five years old, he was knocked unconscious by a swing and he actually started having epilepsy and seizures because of that injury. And they also say that he sustained multiple additional head injuries at a really early age. Would they just like put him in a dryer and turn it off? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's not funny. <laughs> but I know that, like, if I had been Garrett, a kid out. and my sibling got nailed in the head with a swing, I would have laughed really. I for sure took some tumbles as a child. Oh, I wasn't knocked unconscious by those tumbles. Oh, no, that's or, wild. Like, I didn't, as far as I know, have a fucking dresser fall on me. Damn. Which is mm-hmm. why they have them, like, anchored to the wall now. And you think about like those. That's old true. They ones. probably didn't anchor them back. Then. But I mean, two years old, that's a <laughs> yeah. pretty strong kid to be able to pull down a whole dresser. Well, well that's what they want I'm about is like, like pulling the yeah, pull out the open drawer and climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did that a lot as a kid. But think but about like. I did that. It didn't occur swings. to me. I think about like how heavy those playground swings are. Mm-hmm. Like, man, if that caught you the wrong way, that could totally knock you out. That is so crazy. Well, then fast forward just a little bit to when he was 12 years old. He had a cousin, Miguel, that they call Mike, who was a Green Beret. He had been in the Vietnam War. Yeah, and he was like weird, right? Yeah. And he was one of those people that Richard really looked up to. And he started to influence Richard's worldview as he became like that role model person. And the way that he did that, though, is by showing him Polaroids of women that he raped. And he told him 
graphic stories of violence and mutilation that he inflicted on a lot of the Vietnamese women. I also read yeah. somewhere that he showed him a picture of him holding like a severed head of a woman that he I do remember with. this. Um, yeah, I remember that from the documentary that he was, I mean, clearly we don't know if his cousin, I think it's probably fair to say that he was struggling with some PTSD from being in a war zone especially Vietnam. Like there's plenty of people who are in Vietnam that are still struggling today. But I mean, it doesn't excuse showing a child these images as like a way of trying to normalize what you saw and normalize what you did when you were in a war zone. Not that I'm excusing that behavior either, but it got if we had just had like comprehensive mental health care for our troops in the 70s and 80s, then maybe. If we still did. Or now. <laughs> yeah. But if, if if only, you know, we had done that back then and they had acknowledged what they did to these troops and what the situations that they put these troops in, then maybe people like Richard Ramirez wouldn't have done what he ended up doing. But yeah, I remember in the documentary, they were talking about how he was like describing to him to, and it was like kind of as he was coming into puberty, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was so 12. Like, yeah, like you're as a child you're discovering those sexual hormones and and those urges and so then when you're tying that into like extremely graphic imagery mm -hmm. and this person that you're looking up to your brain is going to conflate those those things especially when you've got multiple brain injuries mm -hmm. right yeah he was already yeah. playing with a stacked deck against him so that's one way to put it yeah and then when he was 13 he saw his cousin shoot his wife in the face whenever they were going through like a domestic dispute they were arguing so he pulled out a gun and shot and killed his wife so he was there for that too jesus mm -hmm. yeah did the cousin go to jail for that do you know he did he went to jail for four years but then oh, he good. was found not guilty on grounds of insanity huh? Uh, okay yeah. oh, mm -hmm. so after that uh -oh. <laughs> Richard moved in with his sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto. And Roberto ended up being a peeping Tom and would take Richard along with him for his after dark acts, too. Was everybody just poisoned by the water in this town? Like, it what is going like it. on? It's the boots. <laughs> just new boot goofing. <laughs> like the worst kind of new boot goofing. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Tokyo I almost can't even blame him for being a monster now because how could he not with all of Right, like what did we expect him to right. turn out as? Mm -hmm. Right. Not not even count, like even if he didn't have all of the brain injuries and probably some sort of learning disability as a result of chemical exposure in utero. But then on top of it, he's going on these deranged field trip, cursed Miss Frizzle and whoa and they also said that his dad was really abusive physically to the entire I, family i believe that i mean and God. he was leaving go sleep in cemeteries richard was to get away from his dad's abuse that is a quiet place probably yeah. at night i mean i hope well then when he became an adolescent he ended up getting a job at the holiday inn but he didn't keep that job very long though because he would use his passkey to rob people who were sleeping. And his employment ended up ending really abruptly because he attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room before her husband got back. But her husband ended up returning and catching him trying to do that. And he beat the fire out of Richard. 
But they ended up dropping the criminal charges because the couple lived out of state and they didn't want to come back to state to testify against him. So he got another brain injury, probably, from getting the shit kicked out of him. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't prosecute him. Right. I did this this continuing ed class for my license. So if your listeners don't know, I'm a, a lawyer by day. So I have to take these continuing ed classes every year or two to maintain my license. And I took one that was about ADHD screening for children who are involved in the criminal justice system and how it was this criminal defense attorney. And he was talking about how any child who comes into his office and needs defense, he discusses basically whether it's drug court or juvenile court or whatever, even if they're being tried as an adult, he makes sure that part of their plea, if most of them end up pleading out anyway, especially as juveniles, that they are given an assessment for ADHD and learning disabilities because so many people with learning disabilities and ADHD act out in potentially violent or destructive ways when they can't read or they're having difficulty reading or potentially they just have eyesight problems and they can't see the chalkboard. And so then you stop paying attention. So it was just an interesting CLE, but he talked about how important it is for decreasing recidivism rates among youths that you actually screen for these things that potentially aren't getting caught by the school or by the parents through no fault of their own necessarily. But you can't expect somebody to not make that mistake again if you're just sending them back into the world without giving them the tools that they need to be successful. And one of those tools is giving them a diagnosis. Like we were saying before, just having the information of the diagnosis is so helpful. It just gives you like knowledge is power. Even if you're not going to take medication, if you're not in a place where you're comfortable going to therapy for it, at least you have that information. So you can say, okay, I'm not a bad person because my dishes are literally overflowing my sink and I can't be bothered to empty my dishwasher. Like it's just that I need somebody here to do it with me so that I can do it. It's not uh, it's not a personal failing, but if you don't have that information, it can be really easy to let yourself slide down that destructive path instead of trying to figure out a way that works for you to get out of it. If Richard Ramirez had ADHD, then, you know, even with the charges having been dropped, if he had gone enough through that process and maybe gotten a screening for whatever learning disability he may may or may or not literally have had, anything of right, the number right. of things that could have been wrong. Yeah, like a fucking CPS intervention because right. no adults in his life were giving him any sort of healthy guidance, it seems. Yeah. Then he would have potentially also been, at least then we'd be like, what an asshole. And we wouldn't have to feel bad for who he turned out to be because you're like, well, fuck, what'd you expect? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I mean, even with a diagnosis, because you know how we can become so hyper-focused on things that we are interested in. So obviously the seed was planted with this guy. Mm-hmm. And I, again, don't condone any of this horrible stuff, but like I can see how that hyper focus and just like wanting more and more, especially sadly, his hits of dopamine came from yeah. really brutal things later on. But yeah, if there was some type of treatment for mental health, period, then a lot of people would not have been harmed, I feel like. Well, right. And I mean, all the either his cousin or his uncle or his brother-in-law, rather, you know, were giving him this approval by him participating in these like cracked out field trips. So that's where he learned to get dopamine from is by doing those things, because 
either my older cousin will like me or my brother-in-law will like me and like we can bro out on that and you get that like you you feel less lonely because you have somebody to do stuff with and yeah the thing might be depraved but that's what he's learning so his brain is already making that connection and the more you repeat that connection we discussed this in our cannibal cop episode that we recorded but if you keep exercising those those connections in your brain it's just like exercising any other muscle in your body it's going yeah, to pathways. become yeah it's going to mm-hmm. be so much easier for you to go down and continue to seek that but then you also have to continuously up the ante right because you're not going to be you're not going to get that rush that you're looking for with the same old breaking into hotel rooms and stealing things that you've been getting this whole time right and then you take it that next step and it just escalates And had he been stopped at that juncture, if that couple had not stepped back from pressing charges, I mean, his outcome could have been completely different. Mm -hmm. Probably not good, but less bad. Yeah. He also got it. He got arrested or he got in trouble for some minor things, too, when he was really young, too. I think maybe drug possession. I can't remember exactly. I didn't put those in the notes. There are just multiple spots where interventions could have happened that would have helped change the trajectory of his entire life or the spree that he went on for a little bit of time. Yeah, it's kind of like that butterfly effect thing Mm -hmm. where just one thing could have completely changed the course of his life, you know, for better or worse, maybe. But when you take all of these different things together, you kind of set off this chain reaction where at a certain point you can't stop it. It becomes Chernobyl. Well, and how many kids are neurotypical or have behavioral issues? due to other factors and are labeled as bad kids Mm -hmm. and people don't want to take the time to invest in them or, you know, they aren't given access to the services that they need access to. And it just, their life derails and it really just goes in such a bad direction. It's just, it's awful that in this situation, so many other people wound up involved too. Yeah. He ended up moving from Texas to California when he was 22. But in 1984, this is the first time that they found something that he did, someone that he hurt, even though later at the very end, we'll talk about in 2016, they found that this person was not the actual first one. But in 1984, this man came home to see his mom and he found his 79-year-old mother's body there. Her throat had been slashed. She'd been stabbed repeatedly and she was almost decapitated. And so then the son, his name was Jack Vinco. Vinco, I don't know. But he ran to the building manager to call the police. He waited about eight or nine months before he acted again. So that was actually kind of a long time, a long period of time that he waited before the first, you know, murder before he went to do some filing again. So March 17th, 1985 is when the serial murders started up. Maria Hernandez was getting home after a day of work and unknowingly Richard had been prowling the neighborhood and seeking his next victim. So as she parked her car, she began to walk towards her front door and he noticed her and he decided that he was going to seize the opportunity. Without warning, he attacked Maria. He grabbed a handgun, demanded that she give him her valuables So she complied. She handed over her belongings just like he told her to, but that wasn't good enough for him. 
consumed by his sadistic desires. He he pulled out his gun and he tried to shoot her, but the bullet ricocheted off of a set of her keys. And so it only grazed her face. I remember this part of the documentary because it was like she put her hand up when he had the gun pointed at her to like cover her face and it like hit her keys and he like panicked after mm-hmm. that. Because like, he thought of, he like, shot scared. her in the head. Right. Yeah. yeah. And because she, I think she went down but nothing happened. And then, yeah, go ahead. I feel like I'm interrupting the story. No, no, I'm glad because, again, whenever I was reading this, I didn't watch the docu-series. So I was just reading different reports and stuff on it to try to put it together. And so I could not make a connection between what he did here. But I did read that, just like you said, that she fell down, she kind of played dead. But then after that, he went and actually shot her roommate in the head and killed her. Okay, so that was the thing. I wasn't sure if this was the same story. So I think it's that her roommate like came home and right, like, walked, right, right. like walked in on this. So then he shot and killed the roommate. And so the surviving woman like had a lot of guilt because she was like, I everything that I he was the target, for, right? Yeah, yeah, having survived and blah, blah, blah. If I had just died, then he wouldn't have lingered and this, that and the other. Any number of things. But yeah, she was like a survivor. Like she became pretty critical to the hunt for him because she was Mm -hmm. able to like obviously identify him. So what was the difference though when you said this started the serial murders? Did they link the murder of the 79-year-old woman to him? Eventually, yeah. Oh, okay. So when it first happened though, did they think that it was just a random act of violence or did they think it was somebody who knew her? Because that's like super violent. Yeah, I don't know what they... Because the information about Jenny Vin... That lady... The the Jenny lady, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on her just about what it looks like and how horrible yeah. and violent that it was, but not what the speculation was surrounding that initially. But the, the serial murders is he actually started killing like multiple people on the same day, too. Oh, OK. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because he left this after he shot the roommate. The roommate's name was Dale Yoshi Okazaki is the one that he fatally shot in the head. An hour later, he went over to Monterey Park and this person, Silian Yu, I think is how you would pronounce it, but they used to call her Veronica. Anyhow, but Veronica was getting back to her car after an evening out. He saw her, and so he decided that he was going to seize that opportunity as well. So he came up to her vehicle, pulled her out, and he shot her twice. And then that was when he got named the walk-in killer in the Valley Intruder. So that's what they started. Also those names, those are both haunting Awful. as hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder why they always give serial killers such cool names. It should be like the small dick killer. Like, I don't, you, to hold down the notoriety. They give yeah. them these really cool names. And I feel like it, it makes them, when they hear being coined that, then it's like a cape, you know, it's a great brand I mean, that they have now. BTK got off on it and obviously the Zodiac Killer did too. Mm-hmm. So we had that running joke between Katie and I about the guy who it was like a similar type name in a similar area. It was the one who Patton Oswald's wife was writing the book about. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Eron's the East Area Rapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was something like Golden the Night State Stalker. Killer. That's who yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a similar name, but the way that they wound up like one of the ways they linked all of his crimes was that he had a really small peen 
And we were like making all these jokes about like all the things they could have named him, all the nicknames he could have been given instead or of like Garrett's favorite criminal, Mr. Gangrenous Flappy Doodles, True. Harvey Weinstein. That's what they should have been calling him this whole time. <laughs> Take the wind right out of his sails. Because <laughs> if you don't know, he had gangrene in his undercarriage on his testicles. Oh, and they had to like that. sew his his actual testes like into his thigh to save, mm-hmm. save them. Virility. Which, yeah. like, Ew. of all the people, like, why? Just put a ping pong ball in there and call it a day. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I've taken care of several patients who had that and they end up like filleting these people in surgery. It is really, really gruesome. Yeah. And Cause most they said, of the time, like, they don't live, they don't no. survive this. Understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying it's a lot of like diabetics, alcoholics. I don't remember like what his, he might have been diabetic. He is. He's diabetic in this. Um, yeah, no, I did a deep dive on the different types of gangrene after that conversation because, of course, I did. Why wouldn't I? I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, when like, I start oh. a thought with, have you heard about Harvey Weinstein's balls? How can you not? Then <laughs> Googling. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then she mentioned it for like five or six episodes in a row after that. <laughs> Every time I get the opportunity, I still bring it up and my spouse gets really mad. <laughs> That's why you that's why you bring it up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Any chance to be annoying. <laughs> well, unfortunately, this guy did not have it, but he did end up with cancer and he died from that. So good. At the ripe old age of 53. But Ooh. yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't destined to live a long life. I mean, all things no. considered. Yeah. So 10 days after that whole spree where he murdered the two people, tried to kill a third, 10 days later, He went into a home in California that he had previously burglarized. Hmm. So there was a husband and wife that lived there, Vincent Charles Zazara. These people have really cool names that, (laughs) unfortunately, that he heard. And so he lived there with his wife, uh, Maxine, as well. So Charles was 64. His wife was 44. Well, Mm. he goes in there. That's scandalous. (laughs) Somehow the least scandalous part of this whole thing. <laughs> so did you meet at her daycare? <laughs> but, Sorry, I know that's not the point of the story. We're going to hell. <laughs> that is an age gap, I'm just saying. It is a bit of a win. <laughs> so he goes in and he ends up shooting Charles in the head while he's asleep. Obviously, the wife's going to wake up from the gunshot. I would hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Richard ends up beating her. And he starts going through the room for more valuables. Maxine escapes and grabs a gun that isn't loaded. Unfortunately, it wasn't loaded. Yeah. And so he ended up shooting her three times. Then he stabs her. Then he gouges out her eyes and puts them in a jewelry box and leaves them there. Ew. He left uh, them? Yeah. Seems like a lot of work to leave them there. That's very um, Game of Thrones-y. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the queen from the Game of Thrones follows me on Instagram. What? Lena Headey? Is that her name? Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God. I mm-hmm. would half shat. There's a there's a lot of really interesting people that follow me. The one actress from Grey's Anatomy, the one who plays Amelia Shepherd, she's Ooh. a follower of mine. Oh, speaking of age gaps, Hugh Hefner's widow, she's a follower of mine too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Yep. Huh. Man, my mind is blown. Yeah, yeah. we talked about, we did a whole deep dive and compared Hugh Hefner with Bob Barker on one of our Patreon oh, episodes. Mm-hmm. 
because I had a theory that Bob Barker or Hugh Hefner is Bob Barker's evil twin. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He did have a beef though with Betty White about it. I got to know. Oh. Like I, I need to, that's going to be what, like when I die, I want, <laughs> and there's like questions about the universe I want answered. That's one of them. The rest of us will be like, what happens with that show that was canceled halfway through a season that never got an ending? And then Garrett's going to be like, Hey, Betty and Bob, I need us all to sit down and talk about this elephant. <laughs> I need and to And the know. elephant's there. <laughs> and then Garrett will just send messages, you know, like down so that we all can know that. Mm, yeah. We're yeah. Still here, you know. The just opposite of that favor that do those like lanterns that go up into the sky, those paper That's lanterns. Like <laughs> yeah. It'll She's just going to send them down to. <laughs> I'm going to be writing on a steamy mirror with somebody's taking a shower. You're never going to guess. It was all Hugh Hefner's fault. After the eyeballs, a month and a half later, uh, he breaks into another family home, Bill and Lillian Joy's home in Monterey Park. He shoots the dude in the face, beats him unconscious, and then finds Lillian and then searches their home for valuables, and then he rapes her. So Bill ended up dying in the hospital a little bit later from oh, wow. being shot in the face. How did you get shot in the face and you you survive long enough to get to a hospital? I mean, I have that question about people who try to take their own lives by shooting themselves in the face and then they end up horribly scarred and which is, of course, devastating two different ways, I guess mm -hmm. you can look at it. But yeah, it's remarkable to me that those types of injuries are somehow survivable in any way. Your head is just so vascular anyway mm -hmm. that you wouldn't absolutely just lose enough blood to not survive, let alone damaging your brain, which is, I'd argue, in charge yeah. of it all. <laughs> My mom had a patient that survived a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Whoa. And they had to like, they were like warning people before they went in the room because it was like so shocking, like yeah. the state that he was in after the fact, but he survived it. So about two weeks after... He kills that family. Well, kills the husband. He didn't kill the, the wife? So she survived? Yeah. Because he shot the man in the face. He beat him until he became unconscious. And then he tied up Lillian and rapes her. But I don't think that he didn't injure her with the gun. What about her eyeballs? Oh. No, that was that was before. Like, that was the uh, other one. Yeah. That oh. was the one before that one. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, my God, she doesn't have eyes. Oh, <laughs> 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 No, Poor she's lady. dead. Yeah, that one's dead. Okay, okay. That makes sense. So May 29th, 1985, he has a stolen car. He did this a lot. He would boost cars. So he took the stolen car to Monrovia, California, and he broke into the house of Mabel Bell and Florence Nettie Lang. So he attacked old little Nettie with a hammer. He tied yes. her up in the bedroom, and then he ties up and attacks Bell. And he took Belle's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her body and the walls of both of their bedrooms after he raped her. The women were found two days later alive, but Mabel, Belle, she eventually died because of the injuries that he inflicted on her. The one that he beat with a hammer survived? Yes. Mm -hmm. The wow. one that he beat with a hammer survived. Two he days. He should not be a carpenter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the next day... He took that stolen car to Burbank, and he broke into the house of Carol Kyle, and he tied her and her son up, and her son was 11 years old. He had the son point out where the valuables were, and then he rapes the mom, and then tied the son to her and ran away after that. 
So a couple months later, he drives a stolen car to Arcadia to the house of Mary Louise Cannon. He knocks her out with a lamp, stabs her with a knife from her kitchen, and then they eventually found her dead. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, he's like going all up the California. And it's like sloppy as hell about it. There's no planning. This is just like it, yeah, it impulsi- seems very, um, impulsivity to the max. Yeah, very almost kind of like Manson family, like just mm-hmm. completely like manic. Yeah. Yeah. Like fully out of control, just reacting. I don't even know. Like it's I, like I can't even having impulse control issues. Like I go shopping. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Like I can't, and even then I'm like, well, I'll just add it to my car and then forget that I have the tablet. You don't like put eyeballs into a jewelry box? That's not a impulse. Well, I do, but then I make them into earrings and it's, (laughs) I do something with my jewelry box eyeballs. (laughs) As one should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Side note, Uh, those would be really cool earrings. Not like real eyeballs. I'm just saying if you had. Garrett's a psycho. Yeah, but I used to have the eye. Did y'all not have like the eyeball rings in like middle school? Oh where, sure, yeah. I've seen them on Etsy, and I want one. Yeah, so bad. Yeah, I used to. I used to wear them too. So I agree. Your eyeball earrings would be very cool. You have like a whole matching set, especially if they were the kind that like are in the. They are in a globe themselves, so they always like face up. So like when you move, they'll. Oh. But then recenter. That'd be like cool. the like the book from Hocus Pocus. Yes. That's what I want. Yes, I yes, want yes. that on a ring with less well, blinking. I don't want the blinking. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> if you want the cursed eye, it has to blink. <laughs> but y'all were talking about how like sloppy too. I, I mean, he was shooting these people in the face. And then so now he's just grabbing whatever's there i don't you think that he ran out of bullets and he couldn't afford it with the stuff that he was stealing but he didn't want to stop murdering i wasn't think he something wanted... pawning things like wasn't he going into like pawn shops with some of the stuff that he was stealing and i think that's how he was subsisting wasn't it am i no, no, you tell me garrett <laughs> i don't recall my memory's that, but i feel like the reason that he's now using what he can find in their homes i think that that's a different type of escalation he's still going for that dopamine where like now he can't even rely on something that he brings himself. He has to find a way to kill them. And then there's also like mm. the even scarier idea that, which I feel like was also very Israel Keys, where it's like, I'll use what you have against you. And so yeah. then like you when especially he's binding these women and then going through their belongings. So then you're just sitting there and BTK did this as well, where you're just listening to whatever he's doing and you can't see that him. You can just hear him like going through drawers or whatever. And then he comes back. In my family, there's a couple knives that have, they were made by somebody in my like way back generation. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Like it's sort of like, oh, you took great grandma's knife and that's what you're going to kill me with is this random knife that was in a drawer that has been in my family for generations. Or, oh, you're going to use, like I'm looking at the collar that belonged to my dog that died a billion years ago now. Like, you're going to use that to strangle me. And it's sort of like these things that are around my home that are innocuous. They're not weapons, but you're using them against me. And I think it's possible that to him, it's like, well, it's one less thing for me to bring. It's one less thing for me to forget to take with me. And they probably die faster when you shoot them in the face and versus stabbing someone hitting them in the head with a lamp well i would think that the when sensation, you're enjoying the process yeah mm-hmm. the, the, yeah you, when you're shooting a gun not that i've ever shot a gun 
but it's it's just the one like the kickback in your hand when you're stabbing somebody or you're slicing their throat you really get to feel that you get to put how much pressure is involved in that and I'm wondering if that's more where he was getting his thrills then at that point it's so much more intimate yeah like even with the binding like he could tie those knots as hard as he or as tight as he wanted and could see their hands turning purple if the circulation was getting cut off or whatever and could see and it's more face to face like yeah I've done is scary but if somebody comes at me with a knife I'm still not gonna love it like Mm -hmm. just just so then they they have that fear longer too Mm -hmm. more than that just instantaneous speaking of choking you got right to the next one that he did three days later yeah three days later he headed to Sierra Madre California where Whitney Bennett was 16 year old he attacks her while she was asleep with a tire iron then he tries to strangle her with a telephone cord but the cord sparks and then she started to breathe so like that electrical impulse I guess restarted her heart anyway he ran away believing that Jesus saved her and so she ended up surviving that attack. Whoa. Yeah. Mr. Pentagram on the 83-year-olds with hammers to their head believe that Jesus intervened on this one? I guess so. The, the 16-year-old Why wasn't not? supposed to die, but everybody else was. So like, then two I days mean, after yeah. that, on July 7th, he breaks into Joyce Lucille Nelson's Monterey Park home. He burglarized her home, and then he beat her to death, but he left a shoe print on her face oh that's and nice then on Jesus the really left a, an imprint on him yeah yeah mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't say this one so then he went on the same day he went into sophie dickman's home he handcuffed her at gunpoint and then he tried to rape her i just saw tries to rape her so the same know. day the same day Jesus. and he stole her jewelry but with this lady he told her to swear on satan that he stole everything of value in her home well, this was also like during the height of the satanic panic, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like West Memphis three, all that. So it makes sense also if this is getting kind of notoriety. And again, if he's seeing in the news, oh, he drew a pentagram and they really reported on the pentagram, it must be Satanists that are killing these people. Um, then, and he's traveling all over, you know, if he's seeing on the news, oh, it's Satanists, it's Satanists, then like he can kind of build that up. Or mental illness, if he's like super delusional or getting paranoid or. I think it could go either way. I don't and I don't know if we can give him enough credit to say that he was watching the news and trying to lean into the Satanist thing in order to mislead the police or if he was doing it because he wanted that attention and thought that that was cool because he wasn't all there or like you said, like it's a mental illness thing and he genuinely believed that he was doing these things for Satan. I don't know that it really goes that far, though. Yeah, I think he was definitely interested in satanic stuff. I think that was part of, like, why he was choosing to sleep in cemetery some, too, Mm -hmm. that he started trying to, like, because, like you were saying, with the satanic panic stuff, even in the 90s, early 2000s, it maybe just be because I'm from the South. But, you know, a lot of people were intrigued by satanic stuff because you're not supposed to know about it or it's this taboo thing that still kind of carried over, lingered over for a couple decades after. I feel like Marilyn Manson was really riding that wave still. So that makes sense. Along yeah. with like being a predator, but 
It was definitely like kind of getting some yield out of that lingering satanic panic concern. Oh, for sure. Had. Yeah. And I think you can still see. I mean, I know that even going when I went to Salem, Massachusetts last year. Love that like, place. That's well, so even going into some of those shops, I was like, oh, my God, am I supposed to be here? Not that I felt like I was breaking the law or doing something wrong by looking at all these crystals and stuff. But I almost felt like I was infringing on somebody else's religious practice. So it, I, I don't know that around here we had too much. I know that I remember thinking a pentagram was satanic. And mm-hmm. there was always those kids in high school that were like, yeah, Satan rules. Right. Yeah. I don't know that anybody really took them seriously. I think this like, yeah, you shot shop at Hot Topic. Like, I don't know. What you're <laughs> like, we still all go to the same mall, but <laughs> I don't know that. I'm sure some of it, somebody had the anarchist cookbook. I feel like there's like Satanism where people are like, no, I'm a Satanist and that I, I think that. Like a know, legitimate religious practice. Yeah. Like do yeah. what makes you feel good. And as long as you're not hurting other people, mm-hmm. you know, it's all consensual, then knock yourself out. Go for it, pal. So it's like to the extent that I'm like, yeah, Satanism is real. It's not what people like Richard Ramirez and their ilk make it out to be. It's not this like dogma that you have to perform for to get what you want or to satisfy whatever deity you think that you're pleasing i'm pretty sure eyeballs in a jewelry box is like in their 10 commandments (laughs) maybe i don't know they they still haven't been allowed to put the satanic 10 commandments in any courthouses yeah haven't been able to verify (laughs) i still can't believe that he left it like that just seems like such a but i I guess that would be very adhd to forget it right (laughs) too like in the rush well, it's like, like put them. <laughs> so like, I'm going to put these here so I don't forget them. And then you completely forget it for like three years without yeah. your like token that you want to yeah. keep. Like those hostess gifts that I just have in a closet and then I yes. stumble upon them in spring cleaning. Like, oh, yes. shit, I could have given this candle away like four times. Yep. <laughs> We're to anticipate the shock value. But with ADHD, I'm not good at that. Like, I want to see the shock value. Right. You know what I mean? That's so why like, I even... love saying crazy shit to Garrett a lot. <laughs> she always gets the reaction she's looking for our boy took about a two-week break oh and wow. um vacation yeah. he yeah. he went and bought him a machete and he stole oh. a different vehicle and he what decided that you he buy was... a machete I don't like know. is that it from like dick's sporting goods or something like you could probably get one at a uh, garden supply store i feel like yeah probably really? in california yeah they use them <laughs> like in fields and stuff I guess I just always think of it as a weapon, but I suppose it started as something functional. It's like, yeah, it definitely has a, it's like a scythe, right? Like, definitely has a function. Yeah. That's a good Katie's question. Like, I was wondering too. Now I'm like, where? <laughs> it's like they the, definitely uh, sell them. It probably had a cool little kind of grand emblem on it too. Right. It's next to the Army Navy store, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weapons and more store. Sorry. That's where it is. Yeah. Weapons and more. He found out from his cousin Mike where he could get that. Yeah, yeah, right. Good yeah, weapons. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like overstocks.com, but for really dangerous stuff. Yeah. So in Glendale, he went to Layla and Max and Needing's home. So he killed both of them with a machete and a gun. And of course, he burglarizes their home. But he wasn't done. He decided that he was going to keep driving. He goes over to Sun Valley. He breaks into the Covanet home. These people have some great last names. I keep saying that. And he ended up shooting Chainerong, which is uh, that person's name. And then he rapes and beats some kid. And he ended up tying their eight-year-old son up. And he forced the person that he just raped to point out the valuables in the home 
And he also makes her swear to Satan that she isn't hiding money either. So I wonder if he's now feeling like he is using the swear to Satan thing after he thought that Jesus saved that one girl. So keep little further away if they're swearing to Satan. Yeah. Like maybe that's his middle finger to Jesus. Maybe. And I wonder if, you know, there was a level of psychosis where he thought of himself as Satan Mm. on earth. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of making them swear to him, but like they don't know. So then the the following month, he ends up breaking into Chris and Virginia Peterson's home. He shoots Virginia in the face. Then he shoots Chris in the neck and he tries to get away from the scene. But Chris fights back. He ends up escaping. But the couple actually survives that. I'm t- like this. There's that scene in Dumb and Dumber where um, Harry played by Jeff Daniels is like trying to shoot the bad guy and like shoots all around him on a wall. <laughs> and Lloyd, Jim Carrey's character is like, Harry, you're a terrible shot. How Seriously. are all people surviving? <laughs> like you got shot, got in, shot the in the face. Like, right. I just feel like if I got shot in the neck, like my spinal column's like right there. Like mm-hmm. how, how are you not paralyzed? And your windpipe, like, uh, yeah, and your arteries, right? Like, like your carotid artery. <laughs> that's at least one of the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> and you got them on each side. <laughs> yes. That's twice the chance to just take me out. And yeah, that's, that's wild. Yikes. That is nuts. <laughs> so that same month, he breaks into another couple's home. He fatally, he actually fatally shot. Elias, who was sleeping, and then he handcuffs, beats, and rapes Sakina while demanding their jewelry, he, and he ties up their three-year-old son. Jeez. And he doesn't do anything to these kids other than tying them up? Correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, physically. I mean, Not that I read. Scarred, but... Yeah, it was just the family, huh. the parents that he ends up injuring. I don't know. Interesting. But where I got this from, they didn't mention about any attacks on the actual children, but his first victim was actually a child that they found out in 2016 but Mm. so anyhow at this point he ends up leaving los angeles for the san francisco bay area he breaks into peter and barbara pan's home he shoots peter in the head then he beats and rapes barbara peter pan peter pan okay (laughs) (laughs) speaking of torturing children (laughs) wait his name is actually peter pan (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh. I wonder if it's announced like pun or something, but it's P.A. Baby. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> uh, or Peter like Pan. Peter is like a like an anglicized version and like his actual name was like something else, but he just went What was Peter. the wife's name? Bob Not Wendy. Okay. Not Wendy. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Barb. Daughter. Barbara. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, poor Barbara, he ended up beating and raping her, and then he fatally shot her. He used lipstick to draw a pentagram and write Jack the Knife on a bedroom wall. I don't know if he was trying to get his name changed. Mm -hmm. So he ends up driving to... That is an ADHD thing, too, to miss your lyrics. (laughs) Yeah, or, yeah. Like Jack the Ripper, and you're just, like, confused. (laughs) I mean, they thought Jack the Ripper was a Satanist, too, so... yeah. There's been, there's a couple cool connections with him to other people that he could have been. So he ends up driving to Mission Viejo in a stolen orange Toyota and 
he there, James Romero Jr.'s 13-year-old son, hears Richard outside their home, wakes up his parents. Uh, Richard flees, but the family gets a glimpse of the color and the make of his car and part of the license plate number. That day, night, he breaks into Bill Carnes and Inez Erickson's home. He shoots Carnes three times in the head. So now, I guess, instead of one shot, he thinks that it, it takes three. Maybe well, he'll actually I mean, kill them. Yeah, he's real bad at using just the one bullet. So he tells Erickson that he's the night stalker and that she must swear to love Satan. After raping her, he tells her, tell them the night stalker was here. Erickson later gives officials the descriptions of Richard and that they are able to find the stolen car in Los Angeles. There's a single fingerprint on the mirror that matches Richard's. We know who you are now and soon everyone else will, is what the officials say whenever they were releasing a 1984 mugshot of his. And they also told him that there's going to be no place that you could hide. So he takes a bus to Tucson, Arizona at the end of August to visit his brother. He returns to California the next morning. His mugshot is all over the newspapers, which he notices. He attempts to carjack a woman's vehicle because, you know, that's him. But a group of bystanders go after him. And one of them, they manage to hit him in the head and they pin him down until the cops get there. So the court was kind of interesting because jury selection began in July of 1988. And at his first appearance, he yells, Hell Satan, and has a pentagram on his hand. Yes. And he like held it up to show the cameras. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's that creepy picture of him with his hand up. But his trial got delayed because one of the jurors was a no-show. And they later found Phyllis, yeah, Phyllis Singletary was her name but they later found her shot and killed in her apartment so the jury wondered if richard was behind her death but then yeah they later yeah but they later determined that it was her boyfriend that killed her and then he committed suicide god so oh, in september the next yeah how random right yeah timing yeah also so real bad time to try to kill your girlfriend when she has fucking jury duty and the fucking cops are gonna notice when she's missing like day <laughs> yeah. one like right away well, he killed himself, too. So, I mean, they didn't go That's find true. him. true. I guess he yeah. didn't really care. But mm -hmm. So, in September 20th, 1989, he is convicted on 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. And God, yeah. that ended up putting him on death row. But he ended up dying, like I told you, of B-cell lymphoma June 7th, 2013, at the hospital in California. But in 2016 is when they actually linked his DNA to what they now think is his first murder to a nine-year-old, Mei Long, I think, a Chinese-American girl. She was murdered in the basement of the San Francisco hotel where he was living. She was raped. She was stabbed to death before he hung her body from a pipe. So it wasn't... What year did that happen? 1984. April 10th. Oh, like so right he was, before he went mm -hmm. on this spree. Right. And he was, so I guess when you said earlier that it was a child, I was wondering if it happened when he was still a teenager or oh, something. Yeah. But no, he was like grown, grown. Yeah. He's nine years old. Oh my God. So I wonder if something like hurt him as he was doing this. And that's why the children weren't killed later in all of the other sprees that only the adults were Well, murdered. all the other children, though, were also male. And he didn't attack any of the male adults either other than to kill them. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because so, um, even the 16-year-old like really girl the was female. 
Mm -hmm. And it's based on a lot of the names that you've said and pictures that I've seen, a lot of his victims were Asian Americans, which I think lends itself to the depravity that his cousin was showing him in those Polaroids Mm -hmm. as well. That's true. So that makes sense that that's who he would target, generally speaking, even though like they say that serial killers generally don't kill outside of their own race. So it's it's very rare when that happens, but usually there's some level of continuity between the victims. And I think we see that with him, with a lot of his victims being Asian American. But it's interesting that he didn't kill those other children, but did horrible stuff to this nine-year-old girl, mm-hmm. like stabbing and strangling and then hanging her from a, a pipe. After raping her and torturing her, basically, in her last minutes. Was the, in that documentary, was that where they, I don't know if I'm thinking of the right one. It was like a boarding house almost that he was living in. And it was like super filthy. I don't know, Katie, you would, um, you would have to remember that. I know that I at some watch. point he lived at the Cecil Hotel, which I guess you could call like a boarding house. Yeah. It's, but it's just like super haunted and dangerous. Yeah. And next to Skid Row. So I don't think they call it. If that's that where that, what, that was. Now they call it the stay on Main. That's where the girl was in the water thing, right? Yeah, the, Lisa Lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they still don't know, like, really how she even that. got into it. Right, but yeah, that was wild. Yeah, that was a wild one too. I didn't realize that he was caught by like bystanders. I forgot about that. Um, in the documentary, they talked about how they tried to catch him because he was going to the dentist because he, I think, at the some bite. point, yes, he had bit some of his victims. Yeah, and so there was like, in in addition to the witnesses who survived, saying like, "Yo, this guy's breath was gnarly. Mm. Like it was burning my eyebrows off. His breath was so bad. Like he's oh got some sort of- oh, All I could think is like somebody in my space like that. But <laughs> keep with that breath, basically, yeah. And um, so they like went around to different dentists and were like, "Do you have anybody who's got physucked gums?" And this dentist was like, yeah, I do, actually. And he was using, like, an alias. Um, That's And so they were like... I just really wish the cops went to the dentist. They were like, do you know anybody with fizzucked gums? <laughs> and the dentist was like, yeah, actually, I do. Like, you know, what you know now that, that you mentioned... You know Drunk History, like, where somebody's yeah. giving, like... Love that show. Oh, my God. I want that for, like, Katie describing true crime. <laughs> and the dentist being like, ah, actually, yeah, I do have somebody. Like, now that you mentioned it, this guy has rank breath. <laughs> medically speaking he gross <laughs> so they said to this dentist like the dent like they pulled up his records or something and the dentist was able to they were able to like verify i guess and once they had his mugshot they said to the dentist like the dentist identified him and so they put like That's a right. silent alarm switch in this dentist's office because they yeah. were like because mm-hmm. he had an appointment coming up Yes. And they're yes. like so when he comes in because he was supposed to have an appointment and then like he just didn't show so then they set this silent it's alarm probably up. hitting somebody with a lamp or stabbing somebody with a machete. Right. And so they set up this silent alarm and the guy came in, the dentist like did all this stuff. His receptionist is like frantically pushing this fucking silent alarm button and it didn't work for whatever oh, reason. No. So he like at the end of the day, the guy calls the police and he's like, why didn't you fucking show up? What the, like, I'm doing this. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous person. Like they almost caught him like so many times. And so then they, and that's when they realized that there was like a wiring issue or something and the silent alarm wasn't working. And so then they like, this wasn't in control of that wire, just the telephone wire earlier. Right. And so they fixed it, but then he didn't go back to the dentist after that. Like he didn't, I guess the dentist was 
thinking on his feet and he was like, okay, you need to come back one more time. And then we'll, we'll like fully finish this. That dentist has like got brass ones for sure, because that is a scary thing to kind of have to improvise, but he didn't come back for the follow-up appointment. And yeah. But so- if he would have known he had ADHD, then he would know that we can't prioritize well. So, you know, <laughs> nor, yeah, nor do we like- go to the dentist often. I don't know of us. Richard Ramirez doesn't strike me as the type of person who keeps a day planner. (laughs) Um, And also there was something with his tennis shoe, like the footprint that he put left on that woman's face matched a footprint that they found outside the house where the boy woke up his parents and Mm -hmm. he ran off. Yeah. And they found the footprint in the soil and were able to like a flower. Yeah. A flower bed because he was doing his Mm -hmm. peeping Tom thing. But it was something like he, he was wearing shoes that were too big for him. Because the impression mm-hmm. in the soil wasn't deep enough for the size shoe he was wearing. So they were trying to figure out why he would be wearing a shoe that didn't fit. Probably because he stole it. I bet he stole it from one of the houses yeah. that he burglarized. Probably. Like, all right, new shoes. Here's some free ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was something with him and a, and a hat, too. Somebody saw him at a pawn shop or something, and he matched the description, and he had a hat. I can't remember. God, my memory is so bad. It's like I watch something and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And then as soon as I turn it off, it's gone. It like, disappears me too. from my head. <laughs> like, there were some things. Yeah, they'll be like, have you seen this movie? I was like, yes, but I can't tell you anything about it. Um, I can just tell you that I've watched it and I can tell you how I felt about it. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I know kind of who was in it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's about it. Plot? I can usually no. remember a lot, but. She'll be like, you know that movie? And I'm like, yeah, I saw it once like 15 years ago and I remember nothing. Although I say this and then PK will ask me about some movie and I'm like, I mean, it sounds familiar, but especially <laughs> I feel like if it was something I watched that was on TV back in the day when like you couldn't skip commercials. Yeah, uh, that is very hit or miss for me if I can remember what happens in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also will put a docuseries on while I'm doing something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like while I'm folding laundry or if I'm working from home, I'll like have it on in the background. So I don't fully pay attention all the time. So sometimes I've watched it, but I well, don't yeah. really watch it. Thank y'all for doing this today with me. Of course. I had a great time. Will you tell people where they can find y'all? Yeah. So our podcast is called The Bar is Ankle High. We're on Instagram at The Bar is Ankle High. And that's definitely the best way to follow us because I'm real bad about posting to any of, of our other accounts. And we come out every Thursday. Right after this comes out, we'll be doing a series on depression. We're doing an episode about LGBT and being ADHD and how that can inspired by a post by you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So we'll be doing that before the end of June. And yeah, we're we'd love to have you. Yeah, that's that's where you can find us or just go to the com if you want a listen link and And drop just a little bit too about your Patreon because you do some fun stuff on your Patreon too. Patreon is (laughs) it's wild. (laughs) Yeah, so our Patreon um, is at patreon.com slash the bar is ankle high. And we do bi-weekly. So every other week we release a bonus episode called Dysfunction Junction, where we talk about basically whatever we want. There's sometimes there's a reason why we're getting together to talk. Sometimes there's not. So we've done things like we've done like little games, like what is a Lisa Rinna performance and what is a name of a perfume. We've done a game. Hugh Jackman or Gene Hackman, where I had to figure out which was which. We just did a deep um, dive on Army Hammer. Yes. Yeah, we did. We did a deep dive on Army Hammer. And as I mentioned, we did that deep dive on Bob Barker and Hugh Hefner. 
comparing and contrasting. And next week after this comes out will be the continuation. We just did an episode on ADHD and dating and our bonus episode will be like a continued conversation that Garrett and I had about that topic that didn't make it into the episode. Once Garrett goes on maternity leave, we're going to be doing ad-free episodes for our Anklet and Limbo Champion subscribers, which right now just our Limbo Champions get that. But since we don't know that we'll be able to do those bonus episodes while Garrett is taking care of a whole other person <laughs> and themselves. <laughs> We're just going to open up the ad-free episodes. But yeah, we have a lot of fun on Patreon. It's much more relaxed and um, you definitely get to know us a little bit better than from our regular episodes. Certainly you get to know Garrett a little bit better. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all so much for being here. And I can't wait till the next time I get to talk with y'all. Yeah, I'm excited for our our continuation of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Yeah, we love it. I mean, honestly, every time we get to hang out with you, it's like so cool. I wish you lived closer. I know. I do too. I hope y'all have a great rest of your Saturday. And and thanks again for letting me push it for about 20 minutes too from our start time. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. (laughs) Garrett had to run into a bunch of stuff anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Benny and me, Claire. (laughs) Bye.